Well, good morning once again. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this weather. It's, I was kind of getting a little dried out. I did spend about 17 years of my life in Southern California, specifically in a desert, so I, I was able to maintain my way. But the last 10 years, I've been in Oregonian, and I didn't realize how much of a duck I'd become, or a beaver. Actually, we're more beavers than ducks up here, but uh, it's an ag school. So I was missing the rain. And it was a blessing to wake up this morning. It was refreshing. It was like just uh, kind of almost wet your soul to kind of get a little weather going on and get some rain today. Today we're looking specifically, as you'll see in your bulletin, we're addressing membership and church discipline. The means in which I plan on addressing those things comes in a theme that I have developed. It comes out of the text. It's on this rock. I will build my church, the confession of the confessor of the body of Christ. On this rock, I will build my church, the confession of the confessor, the body of Christ. And if you're one who takes points, each one of those following things, the confession and the confessor and the body of Christ makes up a point within this message this morning. So we're going from Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13 through 19, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Let us pray as we go before the Lord this day, not only in prayer, but in word as well. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us this morning. We need you to open up your word, both as I speak and bring it forth, but also open the ears and the minds that we might be able to understand and comprehend what you have for us this morning. Father God, lead us and direct us, guide us, inform us, teach us. For it is your illumination of the word that actually brings understanding to our minds. And Father, we are dependent upon your spirit to guide and direct us. For only the God knows God and it is the Holy Spirit who reveals himself to us and reveals the very nature and person of Jesus Christ that we might come to know and believe and confess him as our own. Help us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll open your Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This message in this text is about identity, specifically the identity of Jesus. Just as I was considering our own identity, I was coming across a little perthy statement in the internet that says, we're not always what we post to be. 
with our, uh, our uh, vast media opportunities, Facebook and uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, all these things, that sometimes we don't always post who we really are. We have to ask ourselves, are we putting ourselves in a manner on this media, whether we are actually showing ourselves, will people who read these things that we post know that we are, in fact, confessors of Christ, that we're followers of Jesus? Or will they look at us just as part of the rest of the world, making no real confession or no connection whatsoever? The Bible tells us that we are to be Christ, and our identity is in Christ. And this is supposed to be governing us and, and guiding us, and even our speech and our thoughts, we're to be conformed in the very image of Christ. And to know him is our ultimate and greatest purpose in life, to know Christ Jesus. Well, here in our text this morning, Jesus begins not by a deductive informing the disciples what to believe, he does a inductive study with them to teach them. In the opening verse, it tells us in verse 13, the location, the geography is in the area of Caesarea Philippi. Just to give you a, a perspective, it's north of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually considerably north. It's actually, we would consider it on the very border of Israel and the rest of the world. And it is in this location that Matthew places this question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? He uses the term, the Messianic term, which we get and hear from the book of Daniel as well as Revelation. It is a term that identifies him as the coming Messiah, the one who is to bring salvation into this world. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, meaning in the plural, said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Essentially, assuming that they have been raised from the dead, have come back to life, and he is now there in their presence. Because of the miracles and all the things that Jesus has done, they believe this must be true of who Jesus presently is. But he's not done with his inductive study. He then, in verse 15, asks this question again, but not of about what people say. He asks this time, but who do you say that I am? It is a question that we all must ask. Who do we say that Jesus is? What is our understanding? Who is Jesus? What is his identity? Well, Simon Peter, in all of his bluster and might, speaks likely for all of the disciples, but he specifically, I know, speaks for himself and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now here we have a confession. In the book of Matthew, I believe there's three greats. The first one here in chapter 16 is the great confession. Later on in chapter 22 is the great commandment, which is to love God and to love your neighbors as yourself. And finally, we've already heard our purpose and the very direction that the church is to go is the great commission, which comes in Matthew chapter 28. But here we have Peter upon his lips declaring and confessing that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's promised to come. For us to understand what this might have meant 
hearing it from a Gentile perspective because here he is speaking these words right on the border of the world and Israel. A Gentile would hear the terminology of Christ and they would understand him to be saying that Jesus is the answer. He's the final analysis. He's the, the ultimate purpose. He's, he's the, the real deal in the sense that he has everything. He's the source of all things. That is how Gentiles would hear this terminology of Messiah. But also we would understand there's also a Jewish perspective that is also in play as well. And what would they believe? They hear Christ Though the terminology of Messiah is not used in the Old Testament, there was a full developed and understanding of there was a Messiah yet to come, a promised one who would fulfill all the promises of God. To be a Messiah was the anointed one, that he is the king of God, that he's the declared ruler of heaven and of earth. And it is God who has given him the scepter. And this is what the nation of Israel would believe about Jesus. They would believe that he is the promised one that echoes the terminology that were heard in the book of Daniel, that he's the one who comes with power to bring about salvation, to do the will of God, to accomplish salvation in our lifetime. It is this Jesus whom they have heard and believed to be confessed. But not only that he is the Christ, that he's the son of the living God, that in fact it places equality with him with God, that he is in fact God, that he is a unique being. And his position and his place in the world of sovereign God over all things is an incredible understanding to, for us to understand the very nature of who Jesus is, that he's simply not only the Christ, but he's also the Son of God. And as we learn and understand the deeper nature of the theology of who Christ is, it is necessary for that he must be God to satisfy the wrath of God. That we must believe all these things to understand who he is and what he can do and what he has done for us upon the cross. Only he can bear all of our sins and it places him as a sovereign Lord that he answers to no one else. That all governments are given their authority based upon Jesus' own instituting of their power, that everybody ultimately at some point is going to answer to Jesus. In fact, we understand that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus. He's not only the Savior, he's also the judge of all. He will judge between the living and the dead. It is his place, his purpose, his right to do these things. For he is the Son of Man. He has taken upon flesh and God has said, Who else is right to judge man but the Son of God who has taken on flesh, which is Christ our Savior? So that we need to begin to understand the significance of this confession. It is not simply addressing that Jesus is a Savior, but it's ultimately bringing all the truths that the gospel teaches in the Old and New Testament about who the nature and person of Jesus Christ is. To not just believe certain aspects, but believe all of what scriptures teach about Jesus. And in this confession, Peter is confessing everything that the Bible has to say about Jesus is what I confess. I believe these things. He's establishing that he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is declaring this publicly. We see that he is also being acknowledged by Jesus himself of making such a significant confession. In fact, in verse 17, 
we see as Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. It is believed just as Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus here emphasizes the fact that Simon is son of Bar-Jonah as well. That that is his father, while God is Jesus' father, Bar-Jonah is Simon Peter's father. Here, he also begins to declare and break down for us how Peter came to this recognition. He tells us that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What does it mean for our flesh and blood has not revealed this to you? It is not by his own instinct, his own reason, his own intellect that he came to the realization of the very nature of who Jesus is. He says he lacks the human capacity as our human nature is unknowing, that we cannot come to the full understanding of who God is. And so here, Jesus is saying, the reason why you're able to confess me as Christ and as the Son of God is because it is the God, the Father, has revealed these truths to you. He has opened your eyes, he's opened your ears and your mind so that you can understand the very nature of who Jesus is, that he is the Christ and that he is the Son of God who has come into this world to bring salvation. All these things have been done for Peter as they have been done for all of us. For the truth is, we on our own cannot come to the truth or the understanding of who Jesus is in his full nature, and his full reality. It is only by God's work in us, his revelation, teaching us about the Son, that we are able to come to know and so to believe who the nature and person of Jesus Christ is. We need to come to understand that Jesus is God's king. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And all that that means for us, even to this day, it has not changed. And all that it meant for Peter and all that it meant for the Old Testament and all that it meant for the Jews as well as for the Gentiles comes to bear in our confession. Because we don't simply confess him as Savior. We confess him as Lord of God, of creator of the heavens and the earth and all that he has done for us. He has done these things for us. Perhaps just to give us some sort of concept, there's just a few things that we might remember about who Jesus is. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the bread of life. He's the deliverer. He's the great high priest. He's the indescribable gift. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of God. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is the resurrection and the life. And he is worthy. And we owe him our highest allegiance because we understand the very nature of who he is. In fact, today, as you read your catechism, as already Severin has informed you, that we are making that very confession, that in fact we declared that we believe everything that the gospel teaches about Jesus, not just some things. Though we might not understand everything, we are making a confession that though we may be ignorant in some aspects of the nature of Jesus, we still, once we come to the understanding, we confess that that must be true. We're confessing the word of God and all that the word of God confesses and teaches us 
about Jesus. The reason why I'm spending so much time on this is so that you might understand the supreme authority in which Jesus possesses, not just within this church, but throughout all nature, throughout all governments, throughout all place and time, including the entire universe, that he has the supreme authority. Just so that we get an understanding of the weight and the, and the, and the depth in which Jesus, he is the ultimate authority, he's the God, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, everything belongs to him. And we need to perceive and understand and let that get into our hearts and our minds so that we know the weight of who Jesus is. That we value him, that we understand him. That governments may have the right only to do the things that they do. They might have the right to judge people even unto death. But it's only because Jesus has instituted and given them this power. But Jesus ultimately is the final authority in all matters. Over the living and the dead, he is the one who will judge. The scriptures clearly teach us that God is the final authority in all matters that pertain to all of humanity and all of his creation. And he alone possesses that authority. Here we have seen Jesus respond to the confession of Peter, saying, you have done well in your confession. Flesh and blood did not reveal these things, but the Father who is in heaven revealed these to you. And in verse 18, he therefore declares, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now it is based upon the confession of Jesus that Peter actually begins to formulate and begins to solidify and become the rock. It is upon his confession of Jesus that establishes him as one who is a confessor. We are to understand that on this rock I will build my church. It is based upon the confession of Jesus Christ as not only the Christ, but also as the living God, the Son of God. And it is for us to confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Luther, dealing with his whole concept of flesh and blood, he writes these things for us. Perhaps they're helpful in our understanding of our call and confession. Luther asked what he called the universal question. How then, if flesh and blood are incompetent, does a person become good and do good? He says, how? How do we do this? Because we've already declared it is God who brings this knowledge to us. So how do we somehow come to a place where we are able to be good, which means we receive Jesus, being converted and regenerated, and we've made righteous and holy? How is it that these things happen? He says, as he continues on, the first and foremost thing is for man to know that of himself he cannot become or do good. He lacks the capacity to do things apart from God that are actually meaningful and that are good. And therefore, he must despair of himself and then call upon the grace in which he should steadfastly trust. It is the necessity for us to come and understand the very nature of ourselves that we in ourselves apart from Christ can do nothing. Calvin similarly writes, his remarks that Jesus did not speak these words to Peter, meaning 
in silence, that he didn't take Peter off to the side and tell him that God didn't reveal these things to you, but he did it publicly so all people would know. It is a moment of teaching in which Jesus is showing the disciples and us and the rest of the world that it is in our intelligence that ultimately brought us to the knowledge of God and who Jesus is. It is the Father who teaches us. And Calvin wanted us to understand that Peter, through Peter, in this event, where the unique blessing to the whole world set, it is with God who brings us to the knowledge of Jesus as the Christ and the Son of the living God. Now this is the confession, that we confess that we believe everything that the Bible teaches us about Jesus, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has the final say both here on earth, in heaven, and everything in between. Young and old, children and adults, if God has given you faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Confess him. Let the world know that you believe. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Confess your faith, for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So confess him this day. And if the Father has given you this knowledge, confess Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, And that he is the son of God who alone is capable of bringing salvation into this world. As we have now seen the rock, on this rock I will build my church, Jesus declares. We've seen the confession, now we see and look somewhat at the confessor. For that is what Peter has become. We find that Peter has a unique role in all of history. This is the first public confession in the book of Matthew. We understand that there is a church we call the Roman Catholic Church that believes that there is a specific ecclesiastical order called the Pope that Jesus established here. The fact that we are not Roman Catholics, that we are Protestants in our heritage means that we do not believe that about Peter. But oftentimes we may neglect that Peter is honored here, that Peter is recognized For he's the first to make such a confession. But he's not the last to make that confession. In fact, all of us who are saved ultimately make that very same confession. And it's because we confess that makes us a confessor. A confessor is a religious term that's only really applied to Christian beliefs because we are confessing, we're placing our faith and our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Christ and as the Son of God, as a Savior who's brought salvation into this world and we're making that confession. Therefore, we are confessors of who Jesus is, not only before the church but before the world. For that is what is called upon to confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And that is why Peter here is a confessor. I'm hoping that as we make this progression that we understand there is a confession and we confess the magnitude and the very nature of who Jesus is. That is the confession. That confession changes us. It radically changes us. It makes us something new. We become confessors. 
Meaning that now that we have been radically changed, we now also confess and proclaim. We point to Jesus, not only for ourselves as a means of continuing to live this life, but we point to Jesus for the salvation of other souls, to ever come to the knowledge of God for salvation. And we are confessors because we've confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord. So we see there is a confession that transforms us and makes us confessors. And it is this confessors, being confessors, are the ones who enter into the kingdom of God. It is also the means in which we enter into the church as well. I want to make a distinction. I don't believe the church is the kingdom of God, but it is the entrance to the kingdom of God. The eternal kingdom is yet to come when Jesus has full reign over all things. And yet we have an expectation that it is his church. And we have an establishment and the people who are part of the church are kingdom members. That they've been ushered into the kingdom of God, but the church itself is not the kingdom in its full. But it is the entrance, the opening, the beginning of the kingdom of God. And it is the place in which the kingdom of God is to be displayed in the lives of believers as they are gathered together. Which makes up the church So as we're making our progression, we may understand the confession makes us confessors. It brings us into the kingdom of God, and we therefore become members of the body of Christ. This is the progression in which Peter is showing us, or Matthew is showing us, and Jesus is teaching his disciples this very progression as we look and understand what it is that Peter has done. Chrysostom, in this same understanding of the role of what Peter as the rock has done, He taught this, that upon this rock, Chrysostom writes, Jesus says, I will build my church. What he means that Jesus will build his church on the faith of Peter's confession. Edmund Clown, a Presbyterian theologian, writes these words, the confession cannot be separated from Peter, neither can Peter be separated from his confession." That what he proclaims is deeply embedded in his deepest beliefs and therefore he is a confessor. These are not idle words in which he speaks that hope will some do magical things. But through the very convictions of his soul, the very means in which he is to be guided and live his life. That these are governing principles within him. And that is what it is to confess and to be a confessor. That we are radically changed. And upon this rock, Jesus will build his church. Upon the confessions of the confessors, he will build his church. It is not on the words nor on the people, but on the people who believe the right gospel words, like the word himself who became flesh. Jesus will build the church on confessors. And next we move on, as on this rock I will build my church, it is the body of Christ. If we go back now, we understand, hopefully, that it is through this confession that Jesus, er, Jesus informs Peter that he is a confessor, and he says, I will build my church. Now we need to understand the very nature of what he's saying, he says, Peter is not the one who will build the church. It is I who is the subject. Peter is an object. And it is Jesus who is going to build his own church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And then in verse 19, we begin to unfold a little bit more about what it means to be a confessor and a confessor and how we enter into the kingdom of God and become members of the body of Christ. It also shows the mechanism in which we also build the church in the sense of identifying genuine confessions and genuine confessors. We are not the ones who actually bring about the conversion of individuals, but God has given us the ability to say, yes, we believe that is a true and genuine confession. He does that by, in verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, these are interesting terms because I don't know if you've been around some churches like I have. I was trying to calculate how many churches I've been a member. It's almost 11 churches, I think, in my lifetime at this point. Some of them I go and visit, and they have, I hear these prayers. They're binding Satan, and they're doing all kinds of things. But that is not the terminology that is actually being set forth here. It is actually a rabbinic teaching of the law that ultimately brings about a binding and a loosing. Okay, if, maybe I could give you an illustration that if, if a law applies to a certain person, that law is bound to them or binds them. But if that law does not apply to them, then they are loosed. What Jesus here is saying, it is based upon Peter's confession that he is now bound to heaven. That Jesus says, I bind you now because you have made the right confession. I know the source of your confession. Now that you are a body of Christ, you are part of God's kingdom, I say that upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, if he had found Peter's confession false, he would have said, I loose you. That you are not qualified, that you are not part of the body of Christ, that I set you free in the sense of that you're not part of the church. It's not true freedom, but continue to live your life as you have because you have not confessed him truly. So as we understand these keys to the kingdom of God, it helps us to understand how the church is to be at building the church, though we understand it is Christ who will build this church through the confession and the confessors. But we add to its numbers because we have been given an amazing power. Because you need to remember the source of the institution of the church is declared by Jesus himself, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he is in fact God, and that he is the ultimate authority, yet he has given us as members of a church authority to actually make determination who we decide by their confession and by their lives, who we declare, yes, you meet the measure of what it is to be a genuine believer, to be a member of the kingdom of God, and we bring you into the body of Christ based upon your confession. Now, if we are able to grasp who Jesus is and where the source of power is and the amazing power that we speak for heaven, Jonathan Lehman makes comments like, It's almost mind-boggling to see the interaction between earth and heaven going on in these very words. That God has given his church this amazing authority to declare people, whether they are bound in heaven, meaning that they are connected and they have made a true and genuine confession in their lives, the deeds in which they live their life is genuine. And we say that, yes, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
And the weight of this is heavy. It's, it's amazing. And yet in our own society, we seem to take this so lightly. We have people jumping from one church to the other church. And the only thing I can comprehend, they don't really understand. This is God bringing you into the body and it is these who have given it authority and they are making it a declaration that you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing that the church has been given such power to make such declarations. And it is for us to weigh the very nature of all these things so that we might understand what God has done and is doing in our very midst of us. I hope this at least gives you some understanding of the very nature. It is a confession that brings us into the kingdom of God and makes us confessors. And we begin to point and continue to confess publicly the very nature of what we believe about Jesus, that he is the Christ and he is the son of God. This confession makes us confessors and it makes us part of the kingdom of God because of the genuineness of our beliefs and convictions. It also makes us the body of Christ. And it is by the church recognition of you as one of the body. And for most of us here, if not all of us, we see the church here, the gathering, as the one who has the keys to the kingdom, who has the ability to determine, yes, you are bound to heaven or you are not bound to heaven based upon your confession. This is an amazing thing that God has given to his people. But this is not the only thing because there's one thing more I need to address. We understand that it is Jesus who is declared upon this rock, I will build my church. So we understand that it is the church that is God's and Jesus' main message and main move to actually affect the world through the church. But we also must admit that it also is some of the problem that we need to address not only how we become members, but what is at least part of the purpose is for church discipline to actually occur. If we jump down just a few verses in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21 through 23, just after Jesus made the declaration that upon this rock I will build my church, he continues and says these words. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised upon the third day. Peter took exception of this in our next verse and he, saw, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, we're only two verses apart from this amazing confession which Jesus made. We don't actually know the time sequence, but we're supposed to come to the conclusion that he has just been lauded and applauded by Jesus for making this confession. But now all of a sudden, He's taking Jesus aside and says, well, I did such a good job on the confession. Let me inform you about some things now, Jesus. He's lost his sense of who it is that he's speaking to, the ultimate authority. And Peter's going to inform the ultimate authority about where he gets off the train. He has no right to say these things, and yet he speaks them. So after Peter rebukes Jesus, 
Jesus therefore informs him. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So here we have, this is God's means of actually proclaiming the gospel message to the world is through the church, but at the same time, the church ends up becoming one of the biggest problems Jesus has to deal with. Because the problem is we need to get Satan now out of the church, in essence. In fact, if we looked at 2 Timothy, it says the whole purpose of some of what the gospel brings about is to bring about correction and, and training in righteousness and That accomplishes through the word, but we need one another in order to accomplish these things. We need the other confessors to stand aside and actually point where we go wrong. We need discipline. We need correction. And the whole purpose is so that we might be made pure. Paul writes in in 2 Timothy, he says, The house has many objects within it. Some are wood and some are gold. But the whole goal is ultimately to purify ourselves so that we can be useful, noble items, useful to the master. Just a few short verses after that, it makes a declaration that says that we need to lovingly correct and and change or charge our fellow people so that they might escape the snares of the devil and so become servants of God once again. So we understand, hopefully this is a lot to comprehend, I understand, it's the confession that brings us into the kingdom of God, makes us confessors, which means we are proclaimers, that we're confessing the very convictions of our soul. And this is that we are the kingdom of God, that we are entered into a family of God. And it is a significant aspect, it is not to be taken lightly, like I changed my shoes, I should not be changing my churches because of the gravity and the, and the depth in which God has given the authority of the church, that when we speak and bring somebody, is not a light thing. And it is not just to the, to the elders or, or the pastors or the preachers. It is the object of the church to understand and know when they vote somebody in or when they say they no longer express the true conviction and confession of Jesus Christ, that they can no longer be part of this body, that this is a weighty thing, that we are binding them to heaven or loosening them from heaven. And it is Jesus who's given us this authority. It is not authority that the governments have. Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and even Kim Jong-ho, he can't actually go to his own government and get his means into the church. The government can't get him there because they don't have the authority. God has given only the church this authority to bind people to heaven or to loose them from heaven. Let us just look at the gospel because we've been looking at Peter. Let's look at him through the words of the gospel. Let us think about him. This rock in which the church is built promises Jesus that he would not deny him and then denies him seemingly moments later. In the book of Galatians, we find this Peter who wouldn't eat with an entire class of church members, the Gentiles. Still, Jesus died for betrayers, hypocrites, racists, and jerks just like Peter. And just like many of us, like Peter, we sin, we get off track, but if we repent, we're right back on track. Sometimes we need people who love us to help us. We may fall, fail to recognize sin, we may need guidance and correction, even reproof at times. And if we don't repent, we jeopardize our own witness and we compromise the witness of the church. 
The good news is that not the strength and the love of people like Peter that we have to rely upon and trust. It's the strength and love of Christ. Through his work on the cross, we have been made his body, his family, his temple, his people, his flock, his joy, his crown. He has made us what we are, not us. Now he is perfecting us to become what oddly enough we already are, righteous and holy, a kingdom of priests. To understand what membership, that it matters, because membership is biblical. The church is not the church without its members. It's necessary for the Lord's Supper. It's how we officially represent Jesus in the public witness of our highest allegiance to Jesus. It is how we live and experience the interconnectivity of the body of Christ. It is how we love and serve and warn and encourage one another. It's where you find leaders who are to, you are to follow, and it helps leaders lead because they know which Christians for whom they are responsible. It enables church discipline. It gives structure to your Christian life. It is a witness that the world, and there is something greater yet to come. For we are making this confession. It is not members like Peter or us that build or make the church. It is Jesus, he declares, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter giving us an example of being the confessor, and yet we know it is from the Father. Just as our confession, the Father must teach us about Jesus so that we can know and believe in him and therefore confess with our mouth that he is our Savior and Lord. I pray that there might be those here today that do not know you. I pray that you would open their ears and their hearts, teach them about your son, so they might see by faith who Jesus is, and so believe and receive him as their Savior and Lord, that may, they might become part of the family of God, and that they will join their confession with our confession as we proclaim to the world that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.